0: CHAPTER Twenty-Eight OF THE HOUSE OF WHISPERS BY WILLIAM LACOIS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN THE WHISPERS AGAIN Was it really true what Flockhart had told her? Did Walter actually wish to see her again? At one moment she believed in her lover's strong, passionate devotion to her, for had she not seen it displayed in a hundred different ways? But the next she recollected, how that man Flockhart had taken advantage of her youth and inexperience in the past, how he had often lied so circumstantially that she had believed his words to be the truth. Once, indeed, he had openly declared to her that one of his maxims was never to tell the truth unless obliged. After dinner, a simple meal served in the poky little dining-room, she made an excuse to go to her room, and there sat for a long time, deeply reflecting should she write to walter would it be judicious to explain flockart's visit and how he had urged their reconciliation if she wrote would it lower her dignity in her lover's eyes that was the great problem which now troubled her she sat staring before her undecided she recalled all that flockart had told her he was the emissary of lady heyburn without a doubt the girl had told him openly of her decision to speak the truth and expose him but he had only laughed at her alas she knew his true character unscrupulous and pitiless but she placed him aside recollection of walter the man who had held her so often in his arms and pressed his hot lips to hers the man who was her father's firm friend and whose uprightness and honesty of purpose she had ever admired crowded upon her should she write to him rigid and staring she sat in her chair her little white hands clenched as she tried to summon courage it had been she who had written declaring that their secret engagement must be broken she who had condemned herself therefore had she not a right to satisfy that longing she had had through months the longing to write to him once again the thought decided her and going to the table whereon the lamp was burning she sat down and after some reflection penned a letter as follows my sweetheart, my darling, my own, my soul, mine, only mine. I'm wondering how and where you are. True, I wrote you a cruel letter, but it was imperative, and under the force of circumstance. I am full of regrets, and I only wish with all my heart that I might kiss you once again, and press you in my arms as I used to do. But how are you? I have had you before my eyes to-night, and I feel quite sure— that at this very moment you are thinking of me. You must know that I love you dearly. You gave me your heart, and it shall not belong to any other. I have tried to be brave and courageous, but, alas, I have failed. I love you, my darling, and I must see you soon, very soon. Mr. Flockart came to see me today, and says that you expressed to him a desire to meet me again. Gratify that desire when you will, and you will find your Gabrielle just the same.' Longing ever to see you, living with only the memories of your dear face. Can you doubt of my great, great love for you? You never wrote in reply to my letter, though have waited for months. I know my letter was a cruel one, and to you quite unwarranted, but I had a reason for writing it, and the reason was because I felt that I ought not to deceive you any longer. You see, darling, I am frank and open. Yes, I have deceived you. I am terribly ashamed and downhearted. I have tried to conceal my grief, even from you, but it is impossible. I love you as much as I ever loved you, and I swear to you that I have never once wavered. Grim circumstance forced me to write to you as I did. Forgive me, I beg of you. If it is true what Mr. Flockhart says, then send me a telegram and come here to see me. If it be false, then I shall know by your silence. I love you, my own, my well-beloved. Au revoir my dearest heart i look at your photograph which to-night smiles at me yes you love me with many fond and sweet kisses like those i gave you in the well-remembered days of our happiness my love my king she read the letter carefully through placed it in an envelope marking it private addressed it to walters's chambers in the temple whence she knew it must be forwarded if he were away then putting on her tam o shanter she went out to the village grocers where she posted it, so that it left by the early morning mail. When would his welcome telegram arrive? She calculated that he would get the letter by midday, and by one o'clock she could receive his reply, his reassurance of love. So she went to her bed, with its white dimity hangings more calm and composed than four months before. For a long time she lay awake, thinking of him listening hour by hour to the chiming bells of the old Norman church. They marked the passing of the night then she dropped off to sleep to be awakened by the sun streaming into the room that same morning away up in the highlands of glencardine sir henry had groped his way across the library to his accustomed chair and he had placed before him one of the shallow drawers of the cabinet of seal impressions there were fully half a dozen which had been sent to him by the curator of the museum at norwich sulphur casts of seals recently acquired by that institution THE BLIND MAN HAD PUT ASIDE THAT MORNING TO EXAMINE THEM, AND SETTLED HIMSELF TO HIS TASK, WITH THE KEEN AND PLEASURABLE ANTICIPATION OF THE EXPERT. THEY WERE VERY FINE SPECIMENS. THE BLIND MAN, SITTING ALONE, SELECTED ONE, AND FINGERING IT VERY CAREFULLY FOR A LONG TIME, AT LAST MADE OUT ITS DESIGN IN THE INSCRIPTION UPON IT. THE SEAL OF Abbot SIMON DE LUTON OF THE EARLY THIRTEENTH CENTURY, HE SAID SLOWLY TO HIMSELF, the wolf guards the head of st edmund as it does in the seal of the benedictine abbey of bury st Edmunds, while the virgin with the child is over the canopy and the verse is indeed curious for its quaintness virgo dum furt du caput a fert quod lupus hic furt. then he again retraced the letters with his sensitive fingers to reassure himself that he had made no mistake the next he drew towards him proved to be the seal of the vice warden of the Grey Friars of Cambridge, a pointed one used about the year twelve forty-four, which to himself he declared, in heraldic language, to bear the device of a cross raggedly debruised by a spear, and a crown of thorns in Bend Dexter, and a sponge on a staff in Bend Sinister, between two threefold flagella in base. Surely a formidable array of the instruments used in the Passion. Deeply interested and speaking to himself aloud as was his habit when alone he examined them one after the other among the collection were the seals of berenger de broglie Plebanus of passina in syracuse and those of the common of bouvet twelve twenty eight Matilde or mahout daughter of henry duke of Brabant, twelve sixty five the town of wudembourg in west flanders and of the vicar provincial of the carmelite order at palermo thirteen fifty Jacobus de Napt, Bishop of Rennes, 1480, and of Bondi Marquis of Saucilinia, Bologna, 1323. He had almost concluded when Goslin, the grey-bearded Frenchman, having breakfasted alone in the dining-room, entered. Ah, mon cher, Sir Henry, he exclaimed, at work so early. The study of seals must be very fascinating to you, though I confess that, for myself, I COULD NEVER SEE IN THEM VERY MUCH TO INTEREST ONE. NO, TO THE ORDINARY PERSON, MY DEAR GOSLIN, IT APPEARS NO DOUBT. A MOST DRY AS DUST STUDY. BUT A MAN AFFLICTED LIKE MYSELF, IT IS THE ONLY STUDY THAT HE CAN PURSUE, FOR WITH HIS FINGERTIPS HE CAN LEARN THE DEVICES AND DECIPHER THE INSCRIPTIONS. THE BLIND BARONET DECLARED, TAKE, FOR INSTANCE, ONLY THIS LITTLE COLLECTION OF A DOZEN OR SO IMPRESSIONS, WHICH THEY HAVE SO KINDLY SENT TO ME FROM NORWICH each one of them tells me something its device its general character its heraldry its inscription are all highly instructive for the collector there are opportunities for the study of the historical allusions the emblematology and imagery the hagiology and biographical and topographical episodes and the other peculiarities and idiosyncrasies in all the seals he possesses goslin like most other people had been many times bored by the old man's technical discourses upon his hobby. But he never showed it. He, just the same as the other people, made pretence of being interested. Yes, he remarked, they must be most instructive to the student. I recollect seeing a great quantity in the Bargello at Florence. Ah, a very fine collection, part of the Medici collection, and contains some of the finest Italian and Spanish specimens, remarked the blind connoisseur birch of the british museum is quite right in declaring that the seal portable and abounding in detail not difficult of acquisition nor hard to read if we set about deciphering the story it has to tell takes us back as we look upon it to the very time of its making and sets us as it were face to face with the actual owners of the relic the frenchman sighed he saw he was in for a long dissertation and moving uneasily towards the window changed the topic of conversation by saying i had a long letter from paris this morning crail is back again it appears ah that man cried the other impatiently when will his extraordinary energies be suppressed they are watching him carefully i suppose of course replied the frenchman he left paris about a month ago but unfortunately the men watching him did not follow he took train for berlin and has been absent until now we ought to know where he's been goslin declared the older man what fool was it who keeping him under surveillance allowed him to slip from paris the russian chernin i thought him a clever fellow but it seems that he's a bungler after all but while we keep Crail at arm's length as we are doing what have we to fear asked goslin yes but how long can we keep him at arm's length queried sir henry you know the kind of man one of the most extraordinarily inventive in europe "'No secret is safe from him. "'Do you know, Goslin? he added in a changed voice. "'I live nowadays somehow in constant apprehension. "'You've never possessed the same self-confidence "'since you found Mademoiselle Gabrielle with the safe open,' he remarked. "'No. "'Murie, or some other man she knows, "'must have induced her to do that, "'and take copies of those documents. "'Fortunately, I suspected an attempt, "'and baited the trap accordingly.' "'What caused you to suspect?' "'Because more than once both Muri and the girl seemed to be seized by an unusual desire to pry into my business.' "'You don't think that our friend Flockhart had anything to do with the affair?' the Frenchman suggested. "'No, no, not in the least. I know Flockhart too well,' declared the old man. "'Once I looked upon him as my enemy. But I have now come to the conclusion that he is a friend, a very good friend.' The Frenchman pulled a rather wry face, and remained silent. "'I know,' Sir Henry went on, "'I know quite well that his constant association with my wife "'has caused a good deal of gossip. "'But I have dismissed it all with the contempt "'that such attempted scandal deserves. "'It had been put about by a pack of women "'who are jealous of my wife's good looks and her chic in dress.' "'Are not Flockhart and Mademoiselle also good friends?' Inquired Goslin. "'No,' i happen to know that they are not and that very fact in itself shows me that gabrielle in trying to get at the secret of my business was not aided by Flockhart, for it is he who exposed her yes remarked the frenchman so you've told me before have you heard from mademoiselle lately only twice since she has left here was the old man's bitter reply and that was twice too frequently i've done with her goslin done with her entirely Never in all my life did I receive such a crushing blow as when I found out that she, in whom I reposed the utmost confidence, had played her own father false, and might have ruined him. Yes, remarked the other sympathetically, it was a great blow to you, I know, but will you not forgive Mademoiselle? Forgive her, he cried fiercely, forgive her, never. The gray-bearded Frenchman, who had always been a great favorite with Gabrielle, sighed slightly and gave his shoulders a shrug of regret why do you ask that inquired sir henry when she herself admitted that she had been at the safe because and the other hesitated well for several reasons the story of your quarrel with mademoiselle has leaked out the whispers eh goslin laughed the old man in defiance let the people believe what they will my daughter shall never return to glencardine never as he had been speaking, the door had opened, and James Flockhart stood upon the threshold. He had overheard the blind man's words, and as he came forward, he smiled more in satisfaction than in greeting. End of chapter twenty eight.